0: Uh, you can open your Bibles to Titus chapter two, and we're going to look at verses three to five this morning. Titus two three through five. And the subject of my sermon is a woman's crown, a woman's crown. Titus two: three it says, "Older women, likewise, "...are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled." If you fast forward to verse 10, the second half, it says this, So that, here's a purpose clause, So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. As the crown adorns a queen, so godliness adorns the woman. Thomas Watson writes, As the jewel is to the ring, so is godliness to the soul. A woman's crown is not her children. A woman's crown is godliness. Um, Not every woman on this earth will be a mother. And so God wouldn't lay before a prize for every woman that she could not attain, but a prize that every woman can attain, whether she is a mother Or not, a wife or not, even a young single gal, she can pursue godliness. And so godliness is a woman's crown. And Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, lists the crown jewels. And it's important for us to esteem these qualities, to lift them up, because the world tries to belittle them. The message from this world is that. Irreverent women are are funny. Slandering and and drinking women are affluent. A woman who loves her husband or her her children before her career, well, she's old-fashioned at best, a failure at worst. Submission, well, that is anathema to this world. They would say that's a weapon for the patriarchy, and that has oppressed women for centuries. The world would make this list that Paul gives Titus a curse, not a crown. And so I want to take a different approach and esteem these qualities, show you the godliness and the value of them as we see them listed in Scripture. And ladies, I I want to encourage you today to put on Christ and His crown to not be fooled by the fool's gold of this world, to chase the world in its crown. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness as a virtue of value. The message, or this passage, it's not just for mothers. There's application for all of us in this room, but it definitely includes mothers. Husbands, I want to address you. This is the character that you ought to encourage and praise in your wife. As you see her doing these things, honor her and not just on Mother's Day, but every day. And also don't make her job more difficult than it has to be. And I know that we can be difficult. Single men, if you're looking for a spouse, remember that beauty is vain as we read in Proverbs 31. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So look for these qualities in a potential spouse. Wives, Proverbs three one one We read it. An excellent wife. Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Your excellence, ladies, is determined not by the vain measures of this world, but by your character as it flows from your relationship with Christ. So pursue these things. Single ladies. You're maybe not a wife yet. You're maybe not a mother yet. You aspire to do that, or you aspire to walk this path. Whether you marry or not, whether you have children or not, every woman is called to pursue godliness. And remember that godliness is of value in every way, not just in this life, but in the life to come. First Timothy 4.8 Mothers, as you teach your daughters, train her up to take the crown of godliness, not the crowns of this world. As you teach your, sh- your, your sons, show them the superiority of a godly woman to a worldly woman. And so there's application for all of us in this passage. First, I want to address the motivation for the crown. This is an important place to start. The motivation for the crown. That's your first uh, point in your outline. Paul gives these instructions to Titus, a pastor in a church, and he gives these instructions for a variety of persons. It actually starts in chapter 1. He gives clear instructions for elders. And then in chapter 2, he, mo- he moves to men, and then to women, and then even to slaves. And then at the end, he gives this purpose clause in verse 10. I read it. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so godly character is an outward expression of an inward conviction. It is beauty that, well, it beautifies belief. It's the fruit of the root. And so we need to ask, what is this doctrine that produces godliness? What is this belief or this root that sprouts such beauty in godly character? Well, Paul tells us in Ch- Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Look at Ch- Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared. Grace bringing salvation for all people. Grace training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Training us to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all, from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen very carefully grace motivates godliness. Grace motivates godliness. Gratitude motivates good works. Paul understood that, and so he interlaces the godliness that grace produces, and he reminds us of these essential gospel truths. Paul wants us to be sure that as we pursue godliness or holiness, man or woman, that it isn't for salvation, it's because of salvation. It's because of what Christ has done in us. And so we need to make sure that gospel indicatives motivate the good work imperatives or the commands. For example, just one of many examples. Wives, when loving your husband is difficult, trust me, I know we're difficult. You've been serving the kids all day, catering to their needs, and then husband comes home grumpy, and he expects to be served after a long day of work. Now, instead of putting on a fake smile, kind of grudging or begrudging underneath your your breath and struggling through your duty, remember Jesus Christ. Think on him for a moment. Remember his love for you, for the joy set before him, he endured a cross, and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved the unlovely in you, he he befriended the enemy in you, He, he died for you, you were once ungodly, dead in your trespasses and sins, yet Christ loved you and gave himself for you. That's a far better motivation than just getting through your duties. See, the love of Jesus is the power that you need to love the beast. It is. See, with faith holding on to his sacrifice and with hope looking forward to his return, step by step, he leads you, he empowers you to do the things that he asks of of you. And he never once asks you to do something that he himself was unwilling to do. And so I want to encourage all of us to unleash the gospel in our hearts. To let it loose. To let it fuel and fan into flame our love for Christ, our appreciation for what He did and for us to step by step pursue godliness. Let Make sure that grace motivates your godliness. And that it isn't just duty or just a simple response to commands. That is the motivation for godliness. And so point number two, as we get to our passage, specifically verses three through five, Paul gives us the school for godliness. How does a woman grow in godliness? This passage gives us a model for how a woman can best grow in these areas. And the model is this. Older women train younger women. Older women train younger women. Look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, then it lists behavior or ca- character of the older women. But look at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good and so train, still referring to the older women, they are so to train the younger women in all these aspects of godly character. So teaching and training. These two aspects of an older woman's ministry. First, they're to teach what is good. In the Greek, that's just one word. It's a, a teacher of good. And so the word, or, or a, a woman, is to be a sound teacher. Her words align with the truth, not with emotions or the popular opinion of the day. That word for train means to encourage and practice. Practice. It implies both these elements of teaching and modeling. So the idea is that the person who walks further down the path, she reaches back and helps the younger along in the same way. Now, who are the appropriate trainers or teachers for this task? Who is going to help the young ladies grow in these areas? Well, Paul, isn't it interesting? Paul asks Titus, who is a pastor, to have the older women specifically train and teach younger women. Not the pastor, not even their husbands, but for older women to teach and train younger women. Hendrickson, a commentator, he suggests that no one, not even Titus, is better equipped to train younger women than an older godly woman. That is because older women, they not only have the scriptures, presumably, if they're godly, but they have what Titus and the husbands do not. The experience of womanhood. Now, this is not to say that a pastor has nothing to teach a woman or that a husband is unable to teach his wife. In fact, husbands are called to teach their wives in in 1 Corinthians 14. But when it comes to aspects of godly womanhood, there's not a better spiritual trainer than another woman who's walked a little bit further ahead down the path of godliness. And this model of discipleship is critical. It is so important for the health of the church. It's critical for the young ladies in our church. It's for the, critical for the young girls and the children. It's critical for young wives. It's, it's critical, critical for young moms It's critical for the overall health of the community. Older women training and teaching younger women. And so I'm asking us as a church, are the older women training the younger women? Are the younger women learning from the older women? I'm asking you specifically, are you doing this, ladies? Older ladies. Ladies who have gone a little bit further down the path of godliness. Are you intentionally reaching out to the younger ones to help them along in matters of Womanhood, wifing, mothering. Younger ladies, do you have older godly women in your life that you can learn from in matters of womanhood, wifing and mothering? Clearly Paul had the whole church community in mind here. He doesn't just say your biological mother, make sure you're learning from her, or biological moms, make sure you're teaching your daughters, but this is communal. This is all the moms helping all the moms, all the young ladies learning from all the mothers or, or the older women ahead of them. This is church community. And this is essential. This is a critical cog in the machine of disciple making. That older women are training and teaching the younger. And so I want you ladies, wherever you're at, wherever you consider yourself along that path of pursuing godliness, where are you and are you engaged in this? Do you have an older godly woman in your life that you're learning from? You have younger women that you can teach and train, that you're spending time with, that you're intentionally discipling. And if that's not the case, then for godliness's sake, pursue this. Go find a woman that you can learn from and a woman that you can teach and train. Susan Hunt writes this, these characteristics of the older woman specifically indicate Spiritual depth and strength. She needs to be able to teach. She needs to be reverent in her behavior, having walked further down the path of godliness. But listen to what else she writes. She says, they also imply vulnerability. Now, this is harder for a lot of women to open themselves up to others. She says, the older woman must be willing to let a younger woman look into her life and learn from it. Here's the rub, showing yourself vulnerabilities, strengths, and weaknesses, inviting them in, spending time together. But this is important, isn't it? Paul gives it as a model for growth in the church, for training the younger women. It's important for our our young ladies, our, our young wives, our young mothers. And so you know what? Along with the Apostle Paul, I'm granting pastoral uh, permission here for you young women to invite yourselves into the homes of older godly women, and for you older godly women to invite yourself into the life of a younger woman to spend time with her, to get to know her, talk about the things of the Lord. I'm granting you permission to do that because it's necessary and it's important for the sake of the health of our church, for for the sake of you husbands. In your marriage, listen, husbands, you need to free your wife up to do this. Sure, it's important for her to, you know, attend to you in matters of the home, but it's really important for her to be engaged in this. So I want to encourage you, husbands, maybe one night of the week, free her up, take the kids, and let her go out and meet with other women. It's for the sake of your marriage, not at the cost of it. It'll help you, trust me. Because she's going to grow in godliness. She's going to find great fulfillment as she invests into other women. And it's going to bless you and your family, not take from you. So husbands, free, encourage your wife to do this, to spend time with other women. Not just maybe, you know, the women's study, that's a great opportunity to do that. But also for her to meet with other ladies in the church, just one-on-one. Spend time together to talk about the Lord and grow and pray for each other. This is important. And I just want to challenge us to be doing this, to be involved in this. Women are called to train other women in godliness. There's just no way around it. And that training includes both teaching and modeling. And that's the school, the school for the woman's crown. And so the motivation for the crown is grace. The school for the crown is women training women. And thirdly, let's look at the jewels of the crown. The jewels of the crown. These are the godly attributes that women should pursue. The godly attributes that women should pursue. I see the jewels for the crown essentially in two categories holy living and home loving. Holy living and home loving. Let's look first at the holy living. These are attributes that every woman, whether she is a wife or a mother or not, can pursue and grow in, and it is good in the eyes of God. So the first aspect of holy living is that a woman is to be reverent, reverent. You see that in verse 3, older women specifically, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. That word reverent is a compound term. It's joining two words, temple and fitting. You put those two words together, fitting for the temple. It's like the woman's behavior should be priest-like, representing God and his holiness. In 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that our bodies are a temple, right? Consecrated by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Therefore, for the woman, her external appearance and her behavior should fit the holiness that is wrought in her heart. And so she's not drawing attention to herself with immodesty, but rather drawing attention to the Lord and to holy things. And this includes the way that she dresses. It should be appropriate. 1 Timothy 2.9 says, A woman should adorn herself in respectable apparel, with modesty and with self-control, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly attire, a.k.a. drawing attention to herself, but with what is proper, same word, proper for women who profess godliness. Her dress should reflect her heart. Her words should reflect her heart. Her demeanor should reflect her heart. A heart that is holy and seeking after holiness like Christ. And so godliness expresses itself in a reverent demeanor. Women, make sure that your appearance and your behavior reflects a heart for holiness Women are not to be slanderers. Not slanderers. The Greek word for slanderer is diabolos. Sound familiar? It's the same word translated as devil in the Bible. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, diabolos, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Slander is devilish. It's devilish speech. It's speech that seeks to bring someone else down. It could be, take the form of gossip, or it could just take the form of maybe a passive-aggressive comment made to a woman to belittle her or to make her feel less than. It can come out as just irreverent slander, just putting her down bluntly. But it is devilish speech. One commentator writes this, those people who cannot control their tongues in speaking lies, false accusations, or spreading malicious gossip, they do the work of Satan himself. Oh, be, be warned. Ladies, don't engage in slanderous speech. That's not befitting. That's not reverent. That doesn't fit the holiness that a woman is to pursue. 1 Peter, or sorry, Ephesians 4.30 says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And then he says this, be kind to one another. And we see that attribute listed in Titus 2. Women are to be kind. Look at verse 5. Kind. So the opposite of putting someone down with your words is building them up. So godly women are marked by kindness. Kindness, that's an aspect of our holy living. And kindness means doing good to others, being tender, being compassionate. Ladies, it shouldn't be that someone would look at you and think, oh, I need to be careful around her. I'm not sure she's out for what's best for me. I'm afraid of what she might say about me. I'm I'm afraid if I tell her something that she's going to tell someone else. No, rather, another woman should look at you as an example and say, oh, I can trust her. She's kind. She's going to protect the secretive information that I give her. She's going to pray for me. She's going to be out for what's good for me and not use my difficult situation to make herself look better. Women are to be kind. Are you kind? Are you kind? Women are not to be slaves to much wine. That's pretty obvious. Uh, apparently, the commentators say this is a big problem in the area of Crete. Women who are drinking too much, drunken women. But a godly woman is not a drunkard. She's not mastered by any substance. Rather, she's filled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 A woman is to be self-controlled. Self-controlled women avoid extreme reactions. And they avoid being led by their emotions. A self-controlled woman is not manipulated by a sale or a sob story. Oh, they were 10% off. And they looked so cute on that dog with three legs. I had to buy it. A self controlled woman is not a slave to the cycle. Well, it's just that time of the month, so I have a free pass on all behavior. I could do or say whatever I want. That's not a self controlled woman. A self controlled woman does not make rash decisions with rash words. I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. No. Truth and wisdom guides the self-controlled women. Her thinking is tempered by God's word, and so is her behavior. She trusts and she obeys God's word, no matter how she feels in the moment. Ladies, I just want to encourage you, before you say, I feel, think about what God's word says. What do you know as true? before responding emotionally. A woman is to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. A woman is to be pure. This is interesting. Normally when we talk about purity, especially related to sexual purity, we're, talking, we're addressing mostly men, right? We think that this is a man's problem, but that's not true. Women are also tempted to be impure, to think impure thoughts. Maybe the motivations are different. For men, maybe there's this pursuit of pleasure or control. For women, perhaps this pursuit of of comfort, of affirmation. The desire to be desired. And so you've given yourself to impure thoughts. Godly women guard themselves and guard their hearts against these kinds of temptations. Their comfort is Christ. Their affirmation comes from Him, not from men. Their desire is to be fulfilled in His love, not the love of another. And so a godly woman will protect her heart from impure thinking, from impure reading, from impure movies, and from impure environments and temptations. She doesn't let her mind wander into fantasy, but she keeps it close to the Savior, to Christ. First John 3.3 3 says, Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself or herself as he is pure so ladies set your eyes on the pure christ so that your thinking your hearts are pure and let out pure behavior all these aspects of a godly woman that she would be reverent she would not be a slanderer but kind not a drunkard but self-controlled and pure these are aspects of holy living And these are aspects that you can pursue, ladies, and you know, even for men, all of you, young, old, married, not married, mothers or or not mothers. These are things that God values and God are, are heavenly treasures. The second category of jewels, though, on the woman's crown is this category of home loving. Okay? Home loving. I mean, let's go back to the text and read through it. I want you just to see the emphasis on the work in the home. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So all these references to the family or to the home, love their husbands and children, working at home, submissive to their own husband. It's not difficult to see the emphasis here, to see the priority for a woman. These should be the primary subjects taught by older godly women. And these are the primary pursuits for married women. Married women with children. Godly wifing and mothering are priorities. If this is your role. now Some of you say, well, this isn't my role. I'm single or maybe I'm not a mother yet. Well, these are qualities that you can aspire to. You can still esteem and trust in Christ as you're waiting on Him to provide these things in your life. But if you are a wife and you are a mother but, and you're getting after things like self-control, purity and you know reverence in your behavior but you're neglecting the home then you're missing one of the most brilliant jewels in your crown you're missing the woman's priority and so let's look at these home loving jewels the first one is to love your husband and children Now, it's interesting the word love here. It's not agape love. Agape love is the love that we associate with God and His sacrificial love. This is phileo love. This is the love of friendship. So, wives, is your husband still your friend? Do you not only love him, but do you like him? When I ask, do you love your husband? Do you love your children? You say, well, yeah, I cook for them every day. I do their laundry. I clean up after them. I I haven't neglected my duties. That's not the kind of love Paul's talking about here. He's asking, is your husband still the apple of your eye? Is he still your best friend in life? Is he your closest companion? Not only do you love him, but you still like him. And then related to the children, mothers, Do you view your children as a nuisance, a hindrance, or an annoyance? Or are they a blessing, an encouragement to you? Is it a privilege and a joy to be their mom, to know them personally, to spend quality time with them, in addition to the quantity time? You know, A.T. Robertson said, This exhortation is still needed where some married women prefer poodle dogs to children. He wrote that in 1930. How true is it today? Society will tell a woman that marriage is a tool for the oppressive patriarchy, that children are a setback to a career. Not so in God's eyes. Wives, mothers, God has called you to love your husband and love your children. To view them as precious jewels in your crown. The second aspect of the home-loving characteristics is prioritizing the home. Prioritizing the home. Now, verse 5 says that women, train the young women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. This could be translated as homekeepers or home workers. 1 Timothy 5.14 says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households. In Proverbs 31, you see that homekeeping isn't just, you know, doing the laundry and preparing meals, but this woman is in charge of the estate. She's managing the whole household. Just not only her husband's needs, but her children, but if she has maidens, she's managing them as well. It's a big responsibility. And husbands, we know that. We know when we go away to work, they're not just sitting around all day twiddling their thumbs. There's major work to be done. And it's a serious work, and I think we should esteem it and and uphold it and honor it. You know, the ancient Spartans, known for their, you know, 300 valiant men who were war heroes. But actually, if you read the history, there was another aspect of the strength in their community. They got a lot wrong, a lot wrong. Some bad stuff happening in Greece during that time. But one thing they understood correctly was the strength of their community, the strength of their army, depended on the strength of their women. They esteemed the woman's role. They held it up, the role of mothering, managing the estate, and saw them as the ones who raised and trained the next generation of fighters. They valued the role of the woman, especially the role of the woman in the home. There was a pastor's wife that was filling out a form at a doctor's office, and the lady behind the desk made a snarky comment. She said, you forgot to enter your work information. The woman replied, well, the information is the same as my home information. She said, oh, so you mean you don't work. The pastor's wife said, oh, you bet I work. While you sit here and collect forms all day, I'm raising the next generation of leaders for this country. Now, I think that's just to point to the way that our, our society diminishes this work, and it really should be upheld and valued, but I don't believe that this would forbid a woman from having a job outside the home. It rather emphasizes that her priority is the work in the home. And so there are seasons of life and circumstances that lend to um, maybe a, a wife getting a job or additional work. Maybe you don't have kids yet. Maybe the kids are grown adults. Maybe you need to supplement the household income. That's very common in California. So it's necessary to have your wife work. And some jobs are more conducive to homekeeping. You're able to work part-time. You're able to work at different hours. So you're able to still tend to the the priorities of the home. And I think this is something that couples need to seriously discuss together. Maybe have periodic check-ins to see how you're doing. If the wife must work, then you should have these conversations to make sure that the work outside doesn't come at the cost of the work inside the home. And ladies, I just want to encourage you, as you guys make steps toward this priority, that the extra money will not buy you this crown. The time, the energy, and the effort you put into loving your husband and your children and managing the home produces a priceless jewel for your crown. Don't neglect it. Prioritize it. Evaluate the time that you spend. But make sure that this is a priority. The woman is to be a a keeper of the home. And that is an esteemed role of great value for the kingdom of God. Finally, women are called, wives are committed are commanded to submit to their husbands. Wives submitting to their husbands. Now this is another pain point for women in the world. It's a, but it's not a pain point for God. It's a precious jewel for the women of God. Titus 2.5, five, we see here that they're to be submissive to their own husbands. Own husbands important, not someone else's husband. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this is a worshipful endeavor. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Then 1 Peter 3.1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, even those who don't obey the word. In the very beginning, God made male and female, two genders, not however many Facebook says there is. These two genders are equal in value. No distinction as far as their value in God's eyes, the way that they're saved, both image bearers of God. Yet they do have distinct roles. And God made it that way, complementary roles. The woman as or sorry, the man is given the role of head or leader. So he is primarily responsible to lead, to provide, and protect his family. And he gave woman the title and the role of helper. And so she is to follow, to support, and to undergird his leadership. These are God-given roles. By the way, roles given before Genesis 3. Before sin entered the world and messed everything up. So this is God's design. And God at the end of creation says that his design is not just good, but very good. So this is beautiful, this is right, this is orderly. And the world would say, no, our way's better. So when sin entered the world, the battle of the sexes began. In Genesis 3.16, God says to the woman, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. God predicted a struggle He knew would happen even before the 20th century. There would be a struggle for a woman to fulfill her role and she'll desire her husband's role and the husbands would take advantage of their authority and they would become abusive and it would all become a mess because sin makes a mess. Sin messes with God's design. But it's not God's design that's the problem. It's sin and people... It's not that God's design for the woman as helper or for the woman to submit to her husband is wrong. It's sin that has messed that up. God didn't. And so women, despite what the world says, and in honor of Christ whom you love, and to obey His word, He calls you to submit to your husband. To come under His leadership. To follow Him, to support Him, and to undergird Him. And this is right, and this is beautiful, and this is good. I like to remind women that they're in good company. They are. Submission aligns your heart with that of the Son of God, who willingly submitted to the will of his Father, not because he was less than, not because he was inferior, but because it was his role, and he fulfilled it. Submission aligns your heart with that of the Holy Spirit, who's also called the Helper. and He's no less God. He's not inferior than the other persons of the triune God, but he fulfills his role gladly. So I want to encourage you to fulfill this role. To be a woman that not only pursues holy living, but is home-loving. You know, the world's crown for women is empty, and it is unfulfilling. I was struck by a recent article that I read by the Harvard Business Journal that the number one regret For female executives, this was just published, the number one regret for female executives in business was not in any way related to their business. Their number one regret is that they didn't have children. The world knows this is wrong. They know it. The vain pursuits of the world are ultimately unfulfilling. A career won't fulfill you, ladies. Uh, Even just another man won't fulfill you. Children, if that's your ultimate, that even won't fulfill you. Christ fulfills you. As you pursue Christ and his character reflects in your life, you'll become a godly woman and you'll pursue the things and do the things that he has designed and that he loves. And so take up Christ in his crown. Take up godliness and heavenly treasure. Single ladies, take up the call of holy living. Live a life that is wholly devoted to Jesus Christ, whether you marry or not. And trust God with your future. Wives, take up this charge of submission and and loving your husband and, and holy character. Mothers, teach, train, and raise those children. Not to say yes to the world and its fool's gold, but to treasure Christ and godliness. And men, let's esteem these qualities as beautiful and attractive. Let's honor our wives as they display this character. And you know what's interesting? When we go through these aspects of godly character, I want to point you back to Titus 2, and this last phrase in verse 5, is that this kind of character displayed in the lives of women is a defense, a witness for the gospel. Look at the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. The word of God... The doctrine of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be adorned, women, as you live this way in the world. Let's be an effective witness for Jesus Christ with our godly character. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you humbly just recognizing that you are creator, designer, architect of this world, of our gender of our design, of our purpose. You've written it, and it is so. And God, it is good. Sometimes I think, God, we, we're mistaken when we look at the design of Scripture as just a burden or, or oppressive in some way. That's not true, God. What you, your designs are good. You're, even the yoke of Christ is, is gentle, gentle. It's kind, it's it's easy. And we know that it's the right way. And yet sometimes, God, in our sin, just forgive us for taking our way, for thinking that our way is better. Forgive us for that, God. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who died to atone for that sin, for to atone for that curse that's warped everything. Thank you that we can trust in Christ and hope in Him. He saved us and that he's coming back to make all wrongs right, to redeem the whole world. God, and I just ask for our women, the young women, older women in our congregation, that you would encourage them today. You'd encourage them, maybe just with one practical application they can walk away with to grow in godliness, that they would take up your crown, God, and not the world's crown and that they would be a wonderful witness to this community and to this world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would be with them today, you would encourage them today, and encourage them in godliness, in their role as women of God. In Jesus' name, amen.